Our sermon text this evening is just Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, but I'd like to read Romans 8, 18 to 28, as is listed above for context. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to this beautiful section of Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 28. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. God, we come before you, Father, and ask that the one about whom we just read would do the work, Lord, that you say that you do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would correct, Lord, train, uh, but most of all, show us a Jesus as you demonstrate your power and authority, Holy Spirit, to work through your word. Uh, we desire to see our Savior tonight, and we want to worship you, Holy Spirit, in the work that you do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage addresses the exhausted in prayer. Have you ever prayed for something and prayed for something and prayed for something and you got to the point where you just did not have anything left to pray? Maybe you were trying to make a difficult decision and you felt like what you were going to head toward would really direct your life in a very significant way. You got advice and you prayed, and you prayed, and you stayed up late at nights, and you prayed, and then you were exhausted, and you just had nothing left to pray. The words of this passage, the words of Romans 8, we groan, we groan waiting for the eternal consolation of all things. Maybe you get to a point where you start asking yourself, 
Maybe I just should not be asking these things anymore. It does not seem like God is present. It does not seem like God is here and ready to answer my prayers. The circumstances that I'm facing are so extremely difficult that I just don't know how to pray anymore. Uh, For us, these moments of groaning and exhaustion often happen for us after we had babies. Um, We were physically shot. Uh, We would not sleep after children. Maybe some of you have wonderful children who go to sleep at nights after they're born and, uh, and sleep well. But for us, we were so incredibly tired. And we would pray in those times. We would pray, we'd pray, we'd do all kinds of silly other things. But we would also pray. And then we were just totally physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. And then we just didn't know what to pray for. And we often actually would read uh, this section of the book of Romans. Um, And it was such a remarkable comfort to hear uh, what we will consider tonight, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Well, I want to set this in the context first of the book of Romans, a recent argument of what Paul has been saying in the book of Romans. You know uh, in chapter 7 that he's reflecting on the fact that both, I think, in the history of Israel, Israel could not perform the righteousness that the law required, but then he internalizes that and says, that which I want to do, I cannot do. And the things that I know I shouldn't do, I find myself over and over again still doing the sin that I know I hate because I've been set free from bondage to my sin. There I am falling And he says at the end of chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? And at the close he says, thanks be to God through Jesus. And then the wonderful conclusion and turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's a move toward then the, the effect and the work of the Holy Spirit Paul starts to argue and and demonstrate and really show us the third person of the Trinity, the personal work of the Holy Spirit. He says things like, we walk now according to the Spirit. Or he says also, we set our minds now on the things of the Spirit. As Christ was raised, as we heard this morning, as He's resurrected, as He goes into glory, and at Pentecost He pours out the Spirit on His people, He says one of the most beautiful sections, maybe my favorite of these things that the Holy Spirit does in the early sections of Romans 8, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul is telling you as a Christian that you now, set free from the bondage to the old Adam, have the energizing, powerful work of the one through whom, uh, the one who fluttered over all creation, the one through whom the new creation uh, comes. He has set you into this new status and told you, you are my son, you are my daughter, you will not have to fall back into fear. You will now address me And speak to me as Abba and as Father. There's a whole new identity that the Spirit stamps on us as children. And then he turns to the cosmic groaning of all creation. 
The whole creation is groaning under bonds of decay. It, in some sense, knows it was not intended to be wasting away. And the cosmic then turns uh, the scope of the massive cosmic creation that's been groaning and waiting for the resurrection of God's people focuses down and says, we ourselves also groan inwardly as we await eagerly that adoption, that we await the resurrection of our bodies. And then Paul uh, turns and says, because of all that, in the midst of all of that, with those beautiful realities of what the Holy Spirit does, likewise, also, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know how to pray. I want to say one thing, basically, and I'll break it into three parts this evening. The Holy Spirit uh, helps a weak people. A weak people in prayer are helped, second, by the Holy Spirit, and then always heard by the Father. So first, a weak people in prayer, second, are helped by the Holy Spirit, and then third, always heard by the Father. And since we'll be speaking a lot about the Father and the Spirit, we need to also address the Son, and so we'll, we'll speak about Jesus and His intercession as well as we close. So first, Paul tells you as a Christian that you are weak. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. How do you respond when you hear that you are weak as a Christian? I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to admit that I need something, that I need help, and I need someone to come alongside me. The, the Spirit helps us in our, in the old translations, if you had the King James, maybe New King James, the Spirit helps us in our infirmities. Uh, the, the same word for a weakness in this text is the word that is used in the Gospels when Jesus goes out preaching the kingdom. He's announcing that the kingdom has come and people are brought to him who are weak and sin, and it says full of infirmities. And Jesus comes in the kingdom to heal those who are uh, sick and weak. Think about that word, infirmity. Not solid, not able to hold ourselves up and be independent and separated from God. Um, I remember uh, coming into, up against my own infirmities as a 31-year-old maybe, uh, where I had this problem with my leg. I was a sh had a shooting pain going down my leg, too stubborn to go to the doctor for a few weeks, finally went, and the doctor said to me, uh, this is how bodies go. He did a bunch of tests, and he said, you are going to have to get used to random little pains and things that are happening in your body. And I was speaking to my brother this week. He's 36, and said, I, he, he said, I can't swim. I can't run and do all the stuff I used to do and wake up the next morning and just go. Um, we are uh, uh, decaying, weak people, and we need the help of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's not a physical weakness, it's the weakness of not knowing how we should pray as we ought. Why don't you like to recognize your weakness? Why do I not like to recognize my weakness? I think oftentimes, uh, the reason I'm focusing on this word weakness and needing to see and acknowledge this reality um, is oftentimes we don't acknowledge the problem that the Holy Spirit answers in this passage, and I think that's because of our pride. Jesus addresses the Christian's 
in Laodicea, if you remember in Revelation chapter 3, he speaks very uh, uh, directly to them, and he says, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Sometimes we do not recognize the weakness this passage describes us as just because we're too proud to acknowledge that we are as weak as the Bible and as the Scriptures describe us. Sometimes we're just embarrassed. We don't like to acknowledge our need. We want to present strength and not seem to need anything. The British saying could be hung as a banner over our homes, keep strong, keep calm, and carry on. It's a way of uh, presenting strength and not seeming to need anything. And Jesus says, you need me. You do need me. You're a people who are weak, who need to know your weakness. So if we understand our infirmity in this world until Christ comes to set all things new, to put everything back into joint and to bring the new heavens and the new earth. If that's the problem that he's addressing, our weakness in prayer, well, second, we see that we are helped by the Holy Spirit. You in your weakness, and I think the glory of this is even when you don't recognize your weakness, this text is telling us that in our, in our weakness, the Holy Spirit addresses uh, uh, and speaks and, and uh, helps us in our prayers. Notice two times, once in verse 26 and once in verse 27, He, the Spirit, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. If you're a kid here tonight and you hear that big word intercession, what is this in the Bible when it talks about intercession? Priests did this in the Old Covenant interceding for the people. And I'll describe it like this. I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Intercession is someone going where we can't go to speak the words that we can't speak in a place that represents us. The, uh, intercession is going where we can't go, speaking the words that we can't speak in our place. One of my favorite examples of intercession in the story of the Bible is Queen Esther. If you remember the story of Queen Esther in the Old Testament. There is an evil, wicked opponent of God's people. He set out not just to destroy Mordecai, who is his great enemy, but he sets out to destroy all of God's people and to plunder all their possessions on one day set on the calendar. He says, it's going to happen. There's a decree going out, and everyone is going to be killed and all their possessions taken in the hands of the enemies of Israel. But there's just one hope for deliverance. If someone will go where they can't go, into the court of the king where they are not authorized to go, and speak the words that they can't speak in the presence of the king, then perhaps the king will change the edict that's gone out. And at first you remember the queen says, I'm not going to go. 30 days since I've been summoned, but then finally Mordecai says, if you don't go, a deliverance will come through another means. And who knows if you were not appointed for such a time as this. And then she says, I will go. And if I perish, I perish. You remember, she goes and intercedes for her people. It's a beautiful 
picture of a substitute presenting herself in the place of her people and saying that she would go on the behalf of her people, speaking the words that they could not speak for themselves. Do you realize, dear Christian, that the Holy Spirit, in the midst of your weakness, speaks the words that you no longer have left in you to speak in the very courts of God himself, the Father, on your behalf. Isn't it a majestic reality that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and on your behalf when all that's left for you is groanings? Um, If you need another picture for intercession, Perhaps uh, you remember when you were a kid, this is what we would do at least. I had two older brothers and a younger sister. And whenever all of us got into trouble as kids together uh, and someone had to break the news to mom and dad, who do you send uh, to speak the words that you don't want to speak in the place that you no longer want to go? Well, you send the one that is the youngest and that's the cutest. And uh, she goes, uh, the three brothers were the older and my sister was younger. She goes and speaks on our behalf. Um, And I remember uh, multiple times we were set to play uh, outside while our parents would take a nap in the afternoons and we would break something. I remember breaking a pipe and water just shooting out. And we turned to Jana, it's time for you to go and talk to mom and dad (laughs) about, uh, about what we've done here. And you'll say and speak on our behalf. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us and speaks on our behalf and goes to the place where we uh, can't go. Um, But uh, he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But I want us to conclude reflecting on the question, well, how do you know that you're heard? Um, How do you know that in that place, in the court of the king, your prayers are always heard? I mean, what good is it if someone goes on your behalf and intercedes for you? If the door is shut in your face and you do not have an audience with your father, I mean, what good would it be for Esther if the king said to her, yeah, no mercy on you. I'm, I'm cutting you off and I'm not listening. So I find, finally, I want us to ask, does the father always hear us? And that is what this text says to us. The father always listens to the spirit's prayers. Well, if you've cried out over and over and over again in prayer and you've come to that sense of the end of yourself where you are um, not able to speak anymore and to cry out to God and you've thought to yourself, maybe I've been praying the the wrong things, you could have even in the back of your mind what James says, right? You do not have because you do not ask and you don't have because you ask wrongly. But I think this text also tells us that in the intercession, because the Holy Spirit prays according to the will of God, there is as if a translation, there is this mediation of the Holy Spirit presenting our prayers to the Father in our weakness. It's as if He takes the lack, the weakness of our prayers, and makes them presentable and fills in what we can't speak anymore. The Spirit pleads your case in intercession before the Father. And then we keep asking, why can the Father listen to us and our prayers? There's a wonderful hymn that says, How can I come, my soul may say, I am lame and cannot walk. My guilt 
has stopped my mouth. I sigh, but dare not talk. Notice this lyricist is saying, I try to pray these words in the midst of my groanings, and all that's left is sighing and groaning before the Father. If you sense your weakness tonight, if you know you need the intercession of the Holy Spirit, you are still asking yourself on some level, how do I certify that I'm heard? How do I know that the Father is disposed toward me as his son to listen? And the answer doesn't come exactly in this passage, but later on, Paul will say to the Romans, who is here to condemn us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his most loved son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also together with him give us all things? And then he goes on to speak about the fact that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. See, it's a team effort. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. He prays, he, he speaks the words you can't speak anymore. And the reason you're heard and the reason you're received and joyfully brought into communion with your Father is because Jesus, in all the authority of what he has earned through his life and his death and his resurrection, is pleading on your behalf. See, the Father does not see, as you repent and as you turn, he does not see a guilty son and a daughter. He does not see someone that he turns his face away from. He sees his son. And as you're united to Jesus, he delights to receive you and answer every one of your prayers, not always giving you what you want, but always bringing you into his presence, listening earnestly to your prayers. And the reason that you can be guaranteed that that is true is that all of Jesus' life was a prayer on your behalf. Jesus, the Son, the eternal Son, himself, 1 Peter 2 says, bore our sins in his body on the tree. If you say to yourself, well, Christ is God. He's different than me. He doesn't understand my weakness. He doesn't understand my infirmities. He doesn't understand my groanings in prayer and my vulnerabilities. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And as Christ cries out now at the right side of the Father, at his right hand, you are always heard by the Father through the intercession both of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus himself. See, Christ knew all of our weaknesses. He lived our weaknesses. He was tempted, the book of Hebrews tells us, in every way, except he didn't sin. And the perfect Son of God, who loved the Father in every way perfectly, had to bear our weaknesses, had to carry our sorrows, and demonstrated his love and certifies the fact that the Father will always hear you when the king who deserved all majesty and glory was nailed to 
a horrible cross. And for those moments of darkness, faced the guilt, the judgment, the death, the eternal condemnation that you deserved so that you never have to ask as you cry out in the nights and the days of exhaustion as you wonder, is my Father still hearing me? You never have to ask, answer that question because Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his current mediation, is crying out on your behalf. And so he tells you, come to me. Cry out to me in your weakness and know that as you pray and as you cry out in your weakness, the Holy Spirit as well is interceding for you according to the will of God. And those prayers, those prayers of the Holy Spirit persistently throughout your life, all life long, always will be answered by the Father. Let's close now in prayer. Lord, we... um, perceive our weakness. We sometimes want to pretend that we are strong in ourselves. Lord, humble us. Uh, Bring us to the end of ourselves. Holy Spirit, you do your best work when we realize there is nothing left of us, Lord. We don't understand. We don't know where this life, where this week, where this day is going. But you know, Lord, Holy Spirit, I pray now that you will intercede on behalf of your people, on behalf of all of us, as we groan, Lord, through this life as Christians. And Lord, we do long for the consolation, the final hope breaking in, the last day when, Jesus, you come and make all things right. And Lord, as we come to your table, we pray that you would take all these realities, these promises, these truths, Lord. And particularly, Father, if there are people doubting and wondering, grieved, exhausted in prayer. I just pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would feed us on your body and your blood by the power of your spirit as we taste bread and wine. Lord, we can't do these things in ourselves, and so we pray that you would do it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Ask for the elders to come forward.